Welcome to the Fertility Journeys podcast. Here's Dr. Shala Salem. Today's guest is speaking with me from Australia. Jennifer Robertson is a fertility coach and writer of the book, The Injustice of Infertility. We tried pretty much absolutely everything you can think of. It was this huge process. We went back to our fertility specialists and they said the only way that you're really going to be able to have a baby of your own is by a surrogate here in Australia where I am. We had to find someone who would do this out of the goodness of their own heart. And my sister-in-law put up her hand and said, look, if you can't have a baby, I'll have one for you. Mm -hmm. That moment of them telling us that this was our only option, it was relief, Mm -hmm. but it was also grief at the same time because you don't imagine this is the path that you're going to go down. You know, I imagine that My husband and I, on our honeymoon, would get pregnant and have a baby made from love and we'd get to where we wanted to go. I know the fertility journey is not easy. Many suffer in silence, walking that line between hope and devastation. More often than we know, the path to building a family is met with challenges. I'm Dr. Shala Salem, and for over a decade, I have been helping people just like you on their fertility journey. As a physician and a PCOS warrior who's gone through my own fertility struggles, I am passionate about helping to support your mental and physical well-being, foster your resilience, and help you maintain your sense of self on this difficult journey. I created this podcast to support you. Each week, you can learn from our expert guests about proven holistic and integrative methods to nurture your mind, body, and spirit and hear women share their own stories to remind you that you are not alone. Welcome to Fertility Journeys. Fertility Journey Life Hacks. Here's the tip of the week. I get asked a lot of questions about nutrition. What should I eat? What should I avoid? What's the best diet for fertility? Nutritional studies are notoriously hard to do because there are so many factors to control for, Everybody's body is different. Our environments are different. And at the same time, fertility is also very difficult to study. Now, I'm going to be speaking a lot about nurses' health study and the data that was derived from that large study. And a lot of this may apply more so to those who have PCOS and therefore have issues with ovulation or release of an egg regularly. However, this information really can help anyone who's trying to conceive. So a lot of the data that we have surrounding nutrition and fertility comes from the Nurses' Health Study, research that has been ongoing for decades, and it started as a way to survey nurses about birth control pills, but then it morphed into a study to look into many other areas, including fertility. They started the study with the first round in 1976 with well over 100,000 nurses, and they had the nurses fill out questionnaires every two years looking at their diet exercise, stress levels, and other lifestyle factors. And then in a second round to this study, which started in 1989, they evaluated the data to look at women who were trying to conceive. And from this data, they found that there were several key points that were linked to improved ovulatory fertility. One of the areas that they looked at was carbohydrate intake, and they found that reduced processed and highly refined carbohydrates in diets was linked to higher ovulatory fertility. Managing our blood sugar is so important when it comes to fertility. And in fact, if I have to give you one tip when you're trying to conceive about diet, it's reduce your sugar intake. And I think this can help anyone. Sugar's practically everywhere these days, and you know what I'm talking about. It's in dressings and pasta sauces drinks. I recently went to the store and found it in boxed chicken broth. So it's everywhere. The average American right now is consuming about 17 teaspoons of sugar per day, which translates to about 57 pounds per year. And that's the average, which means that there are people out there who are consuming more than this on a daily basis. Now, one particular study looked at sugar intake from sweetened beverages and found that those who had the highest consumption had increased risk for developing infertility. And some studies have shown that consumption of egg sugar and fat can be tied to reduced egg quality. Carbohydrates overall can get a really bad rap. And while there's some truth to carbohydrates being problematic, most of the issues come from the type of carbohydrates that we consume. And that's what the nurses' health study showed. It was not, in fact, 
carbohydrate consumption, it was the simple carbohydrates like pretzels, bread, pasta, baked goods that we really need to watch out for. And those were linked with reduced ovulatory fertility. Also important, if you are going to be consuming carbohydrates, I usually recommend to try to consume them along with a healthy fat, vegetables, and protein. So the combination will help to minimize the blood sugar rise that comes with consumption of the carbohydrate. Managing blood sugar is not only important for those with PCOS. It's important for anyone who's trying to conceive. And in fact, there was a study out of Denmark that looked at average blood sugar over a four-month period, and women with high but still quote-unquote normal levels were only half as likely to conceive as those who had low normal levels. One other area that the Nurses Health Study found was looking at fats, and they found that choosing healthy fats from things like nuts, avocados, olive oil, fish, and avoiding processed oils, which is found in packaged foods and fast foods, was linked to higher fertility rates. Multiple studies have shown that patients who consumed larger amounts of fast food had longer time to conception. And eating more omega-3 fats from fish, nuts, seeds has been shown to possibly increase pregnancy rate. And a word of caution here about fish, please be mindful of the type of fish that you are eating. Larger fish like tuna can have higher amounts of mercury and can be harmful in pregnancy. So try to consume the smaller fish. An example would be salmon or sardines. One of the other points the Nurses Health Study talked about was limiting animal proteins. Now, this one is going to be controversial because there's many out there who are pro-meat and pro-keto and swear by this diet. But the Nurses Health Study showed that when more red meat was replaced by plant protein, they had higher chances of conception. You know, this could be linked to the fact that higher advanced glycation end products are found in animal products, and it can interfere with metabolism, which has been implicated in PCOS. These products are found more so in meat, and we can improve the levels by lower cook temperature with meat and also marinating meat in acidic ingredients like citrus or vinegar if you're going to be grilling or cooking at higher heat and then being exposed to higher levels of advanced glycation end products. And one of the other big points that came out of the Nurses Health Study was when it comes to dairy. Those who consumed full-fat dairy versus non-fat dairy had higher fertility rates. I usually recommend if you are going to be consuming dairy, selecting fermented dairy, as this is usually a healthier option, so things like yogurt or kefir. Now, I'm a big fan of Mediterranean diet. And again, I hate the word diet. I don't like using that. But the Mediterranean style of eating, I think, is something that anyone can follow. It has a lot of ease to it. It's something that can be done preconception, during pregnancy and postpartum. There's a lot more flexibility with what you can eat. There was a study in 2018 that found that women who consumed the Mediterranean style of eating for six months leading up to an IVF cycle had a greater likelihood of achieving pregnancy. A Mediterranean style of eating consists of larger amount of vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds, healthy fats, avocado, whole unprocessed carbohydrates. Examples might be legumes, lentils, beans, potatoes, sweet potatoes quinoa, and then also fish and lean meats. Someone who's listening may have heard that a keto diet is great for fertility, especially those who have PCOS, or being on a vegan diet is good, or juicing, or going gluten-free or dairy-free. And I think many styles of eating can be beneficial. Again, as I mentioned earlier, we're all different. So it's very difficult to come on here and say, this is the best diet for everybody, because I don't think that really exists. It's more about trying to consume whole foods, reducing your packaged foods, reducing the amount of food that you're eating out, less processed foods, less sugar. So many of these diets, they have a lot of those things in common. So if you are consuming a keto diet or a vegan diet or you're juicing, you might be just reducing your processed food. And so many people are going to be having great outcomes as a result of just reducing their processed food. And I'm sure we can find data that supports the vegan diet is the best for fertility or 
the keto diet is best for fertility. But today I'm talking about studies shown to benefit larger groups of women. And that's where this data comes from. The Nurses' Health Study, it's been going on for decades, very large numbers of women. So that's how we kind of extrapolate this to have the most power. But listen to your body, work with your provider to find out what might work best for you. And I really don't want patients to be on strict diets or really restricting a lot. I don't believe in having to count calories or whey foods and all of that. Most patients who are trying to conceive or struggling with infertility have enough stress without having to worry about all these different restrictions and what they need to eat. I think if you follow some basic rules, as I mentioned, trying to reduce your consumption of processed foods, sugars, refined oils, eating whole foods, less packaging, those guidelines are going to help you tremendously. Our goal in this is to support optimal development of an egg each month. And how do we do that? We do that by minimizing blood sugar spikes, maintaining a balance between male and female hormones, reducing inflammation, and optimal nutrition is one of the ways that we can do this. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope this was helpful, and I hope you enjoyed today's interview. One of the amazing things about having this podcast is that it has allowed me to connect with so many amazing people from all over the world. And today's guest is speaking with me from Australia. Jennifer Robertson is a fertility coach and writer of the book, The Injustice of Infertility. And today she's graciously sharing her fertility journey and how her experience has given her the unique ability to be able to now help other women and couples on their journeys. Welcome, Jennifer Robertson. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Now, you are working as a fertility coach. Yes, I am. Can you tell us a little bit about your work? I know your fertility journey is, you know, how you got there, but how does that incorporate into what you do now? Yeah, absolutely. I've been doing this for a few years now, and as you said, my fertility journey led me into this space because I felt like this is what I needed on my fertility journey. A lot of the time, we feel so lonely and like no one really understands what we're going through. And throughout our journey, I did go and see a couple of counsellors. While they were amazing, I felt like I didn't have that true connection because mm -hmm. they hadn't been in the trenches with me. You know, we're out the other side of our journey now and we have two beautiful children. So now I look at other people who are going through the same journey and I see how much we struggle and that's what I wanted to become. And I wanted to become a coach because of my personality as well. I'm very much a type A personality. I am all about getting stuff done. I'm about hard work. And that was one of the hardest things on my fertility journey that I realized that this thing that I wanted so bad wasn't something that I could work yeah. hard at. I was doing all of the things, but it still wasn't producing the results. So I, as that type A personality who's very into control and very impatient, I needed something that was about having the space to be able to share and connect, but also taking action as well. Like give me something to right. do. And as a fertility coach, it is about coaching you through all of the different processes that you go through, whether you've just started trying to conceive, whether you're still trying naturally, whether you're going through assisted fertility through IVF or IUI or surrogacy, which is what we ended up going through as well. We all need a little bit of support and help through it. And it's not a matter of just relax or yeah. just go on a holiday. It's like, how do you actually do that? And what I found was a lot of the comments that I was getting was just relax, just mm -hmm. reduce your stress levels. And I didn't know how to do that. 
So it was really hard. And so what I have created now as a coach and through programs are ways that take the just relax or just reduce your stress into some tangible steps that you can do, manageable steps that someone like me with the typical type A personality, overthinking, Mm -hmm. overanalyzing, very process driven, can actually do and feel like there's a little bit more control because at the end of the day, we don't have control over the end result. We only have control over the things that we're actually doing. So this is about walking you through the process and allowing you to not lose yourself in it. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we need a coach to be able to do that. Someone who is outside of our situation to be able to come in and you look at basketball players on a team, they can't play the game and coach themselves at the same time. Right. So as a fertility coach, that's what I do. Basically coach you through the process that you're going through so that you don't forget the most important things in life. And so that you come out the end, not only with your baby, but also as a human being, largely intact still. I love that because so many points that you brought up, one of the things that can happen is that you mentioned is making sure they come out the end intact because so many people will lose themselves during the process and not really be aware of it. And if someone does end up pregnant, that will affect pregnancy, that can affect postpartum, that can affect so many things later on down the road. It's not just about getting pregnant or that's not really the end. We need to continue taking care of ourselves, whatever the outcome of the fertility journey is. And I think it's also quite remarkable that now you're working as a fertility coach, playing the role of that person that you needed during that challenging time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I know how hard it is And you talk about needing that help beyond, and it's so true. And I'll be honest with you, I always say to my clients, please don't do what I did. Mm -hmm. I've become what I have to not rewrite history, but I know how it feels to be broken. And that's how I was at the very end. I didn't realize that I was broken, Mm -hmm. but I was still triggered by pregnancy announcements. I was still harboring a lot of anger and resentment and resistance to the path that we had to go down. And it does take a lot of time to rebuild after that. Mm -hmm. And I look back and think if I had done things differently, it wouldn't have been such a hard road to recover because a lot of the time we think that if I can just get pregnant, if I can just get pregnant, then that will erase absolutely everything Mm -hmm. that I have been through and I discovered that I didn't pregnancy after infertility and loss is just as hard to get there Mm -hmm. so you travel down this path of nine months of living in fear and still being triggered by pregnancy announcements and Mm -hmm. still not being able to get excited and then you're wrapped with all of the the guilt and the the negative thoughts about yourself and all of those different things through that. And then when you do get your baby, it's another process as well because mm-hmm. you're still triggered by a lot of those things. And I have conversations with my clients all the time who are out the other end of the process and they're kind of like, you were right. It right. doesn't just go away. Mm-hmm. So it is something that needs to be supported all the way throughout the journey so that you don't get to the end and you're completely broken. And then, you know, you can't truly enjoy the fruits of your labor. Uh, I totally agree. I could not agree more. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I created this podcast to begin with, because I'm really passionate about supporting mental health through so many different ways, whether that be working with a therapist or taking care of your nutrition, working with a fertility coach, exercise, whatever ways you're doing to support yourself during the journey, whatever the outcome is. Because I understand that not every outcome is identical. There's so many different possibilities. But the most important thing on this journey is to take care of yourself, And also take care of, if you are in a couple, take care of that couple. So those are things that sometimes get 
lost in the shuffle. Can you tell us a little bit about your fertility journey and how you got to this point now? Yes, my husband and I were 33 when we started trying. We met each other, we fell in love, we got married and decided, right, let's have a family as you do. And we started trying on our honeymoon. And I had been on the pill for the last 16 years of my life. And when I went off the, the pill, after six months of trying, after struggling with sex because after a while it does become this source Mm -hmm. of frustration and this source of lack and we were struggling so we went and saw a fertility specialist and they ran all of the tests and apart from my husband's sperm being a little bit subpar we were okay but they suggested that we move straight to fertility treatments Mm -hmm. and when you're at the beginning and you've been trying for six months you want it you know and I wasn't the most patient person so I thought okay I have a problem this is my solution so I blindly went into IVF thinking this is the thing for us this is the Mm -hmm. solution people tell you just do IVF right so we went into that And then halfway through our first cycle, they realized that I wasn't getting a lining on my uterus. So anything beyond collection of eggs and fertilizing of embryos, they couldn't do anything beyond that because obviously the embryo would have nothing to stick to. So we ended the cycle, we got some frozen embryos and then went on this journey for the next year or so to try to work out how to fix me, how to thicken the lining on my uterus so that we Mm -hmm. could complete our process. And we went to different homeopaths. I mean, obviously our fertility specialists tried a whole heap of things, Viagra pessaries, hormone Mm -hmm. replacement therapies, multiple exploratory surgeries, all of the things. And then we turned to natural medicine as well and went to homeopaths and tried acupuncture. We tried pretty much absolutely everything you can think of. Fertility teas, it was It was this huge process and then eventually we went back to our fertility specialist and they said the only way that you're really going to be able to have a baby of your own is via a surrogate. Mm -hmm. And we had obviously had all of those conversations beforehand because of course when you're on this journey you discuss all of the options open to you and you get 10 steps ahead of you. And my sister-in-law, so my husband's sister at the time had, you know, put up her hand and said, look, if you can't have a baby, I'll have one for you. Mm -hmm. And so we knew at that point that we had someone to be able to have a baby for us because here in Australia where I am, commercial surrogacy is illegal. So we had Mm -hmm. to find someone who would do this out of the goodness of their own heart. That moment of them telling us that this was our only option It was relief, Mm -hmm. but it was also grief at the same time because you don't imagine this is the path that you're going to go down. You know, I imagine that my husband and I on our honeymoon would Mm -hmm. get pregnant and have a baby made from love and and we'd get to where we wanted to go. But here we were, it was two years later by then, and we were going down the path of, of surrogacy. So... It was this bittersweet moment and it was a long process to get there with all of the paperwork and the counselling and the testing. So it was another six months later and we went down our next path, which included surrogacy. And we had some embryos, so we tried to use those and they they weren't working. They either wouldn't thaw or the transfer wasn't working. And so we ended up in total doing around nine rounds of IVF. Some resulted in eggs, some resulted in embryos. And eventually our surrogate got pregnant, which was amazing. And sadly, after that, she suffered a miscarriage, which was absolutely devastating. Having to support not only yourself, but also someone else through this process because she was family as right. well and, and you don't want to to go on this journey in the first place but then you're dragging a loved one along with you who's doing this out of the goodness yeah. of their own heart so that was a really devastating moment for us but it also gave us hope as well I always found that at my deepest moments of just 
despair and grief, there was always that lingering thing of hope. What Mm -hmm. else can we do? And luckily she wanted to keep on going. She was just as determined as we were to, to get the result that we wanted. And must have been about six months after that, she got pregnant again and this one stuck. So we had Luca and mm-hmm. he is seven years old today. So he's our little surrogacy miracle. I mean, the journey to surrogacy was filled with gratitude and love, but also disappointment and mm-hmm. grief all of the way through because this was something that I had wanted and I wasn't able to experience yeah. it. So here we had Luca and then we were resigned to the fact that he was going to be our only baby. We had been through, it was five years up, it took us to get to that moment. So five years, we had our baby. Our surrogate was not prepared to go through that again. Mm-hmm. And I do yeah. not blame her. We and, and to be honest, we didn't have the funds to be able to do that right. all over again. And so we were this complete little family of three. And then two weeks later, I found out that I was pregnant naturally myself, which was a mm, shock. Yeah. And trying to explain it to, obviously, our, our surrogate, right. my beautiful sister-in-law, she still had stitches in her from the cesarean. And then here I am telling her, well, it turns out we could actually do it ourselves. Mm, so yeah. that was, it was terrifying. And it was amazing all at once. And so then we changed again. We were preparing, okay, we were going to have a family of four. And then nine weeks later, I had my own miscarriage. And oh, my goodness. That was devastating. You know, it still, it still gets me today. Mm-hmm. And we got through it. That's probably the, the angriest that I have ever been mm-hmm. because here we were thinking that we had a newborn baby that we had fought so hard for mm-hmm. and yet I wasn't able to fully embrace that because I was in grief right. but yeah. once again that moment gave us hope mm-hmm. so now I knew that my body could do this so we tried but weren't really trying at the same time and six months later I got pregnant again and after nine months we had Sophie so Sophie is now five years old it was such an incredible ride that had so many twists and turns and so much love and so much grief and that's what led me to write my book called The Injustice of Infertility and it is it's the brutal truth it's not just and then this happened and then that happened right it is actually digging down into the into the not so pretty parts the mindset the grief the self-punishment all of those different things and I needed to write that book Mm -hmm. in order to heal so that was a journey that I needed to to go through again. Yeah, I think that the book is really open and really honest about the real feelings. I imagine that that was probably really hard for you to write because now you had to kind of go through all those feelings again that you may have already shelved after going. It's not like you weren't feeling them, but you probably boxed them away a little bit. And now you had to dig through all that again and remember all the things you had to do and all the shots and you may have kind of not been thinking about them anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And on my journey, I really pushed things down. I didn't deal with the grief. I didn't acknowledge the hardness of our situation and what we were going through. So on our journey, I didn't acknowledge how hard this was. And that's what we do. We Mm -hmm. put our head down and we Mm -hmm. run as fast as we can because we want to get out the other side this is not a space that we want to linger inside so what I did was I pushed it down I Mm -hmm. didn't acknowledge it if people asked me if I was okay I said that I was fine yes and then you don't realize how big it is because when we're going through trauma and grief we we really don't retain a lot of the memories that Mm -hmm. we have when I was writing my book it was a struggle to, to piece together what actually happened. I didn't know how many cycles I went through. Mm-hmm. And there was stuff when I began writing it that I was like, 
I completely forgot about that. And it's not until you sit down and reflect and go, wow, because we punish ourselves a lot. Why can't I be positive? Why can't I be hopeful? Why can't I hang out with my friends who have children? Why does this hurt so much? Why am I getting so triggered by insensitive comments? Why am I angry all of the time? Why can I not do this better? And it's because we don't realize how tough this journey is. And when I wrote my book, I was grieving at the Mm -hmm. same time. And it took a while to, to work my way through because I wasn't doing it as I was living it. And I look back and think perhaps if I had been able to unpack the really heavy emotions and deal with them as I was going through them, then it may not have been this huge baggage Mm -hmm. that I was carrying at the end. But the process of writing the book allowed me to go back and relive all of those moments, which wasn't pleasant. It wasn't free and, and actually dig into it and release a lot of the anger, a lot of the the self-punishment and actually see, wow, I put myself through all of that and I survived and Mm -hmm. that has helped me in so many ways that I cannot even begin to explain. You had mentioned earlier that you're kind of a type A personality. If you worked hard enough, you could get it done. And that's the keep going. Oh, it's another cycle. I can do that. It's another cycle. I can do that. And if you allow yourself to sit in the feelings and the hurt and the pain of a cycle that maybe is unsuccessful or finding out that your lining is not appropriate for transfer, then it's almost like you're not going to be able to keep going. So I find that often people just push it down, as you said, just push it down so I can keep going and push it down. And then what happens is at the end, there's all this stuff that we didn't deal with from that, you know, you were on a a journey for several years. So I imagine there's so many layers to that grief. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's so much to handle. And I don't think that we actually realize how big it is and we just want to keep the momentum going because as I said we don't want to be here we don't want to be sitting in it and the and the emotions that we're dealing with we've never felt them before this is completely unique it's something that very few of us have Mm -hmm. ever felt before and I don't think that we have been taught how to deal with the negative emotions that come up. It's, it's hard to sit in them because if we think that if we sit in them, that we'll become them and we'll consume them. Mm-hmm. And we've been taught all of our lives that you just need to be positive. Stop complaining. Yeah. If you're going to cry, go to your room. And what I'm realizing now is that we have to feel all of it. It's a part of life. Mm-hmm. You know, grief is essential when you love it's all part of absolutely everything and the more we resist those feelings the more they fight back and the more they sit there and fester so it's really important to be able to have the space to be able to share this stuff as well because getting support on this journey is really hard because if you haven't been through it it really is hard to support someone through it and to know what to say especially Mm -hmm a loved one we just want them to feel better so we try to minimize losses as just it's just it's just yes Mm -hmm. yes absolutely or we try to provide solutions if you should try this or i heard of this person Mm -hmm. who did this and then they got pregnant and it puts pressure on top of pressure and like guilt on top of guilt as well and it just shuts the person who's going through it down more because when you find out that maybe perhaps it's the person who is very close to you, as you said, or a loved one, a family member, and you expect a certain response, you don't get that, then you realize, oh, I can't talk to that person about this topic. And so you just start having a smaller and smaller circle of people that you can discuss this with, which just makes you more isolated than you already are. And that's what I do with a lot of my coaching as well. It is talking about, okay, how do you communicate this to people? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you know what you need in a conversation? We need to 
educate people on how to support us. But until we know how to support ourselves or what we actually need, we can't ask for what we need because mm-hmm. we don't know it. So it is about yeah. creating almost like a process around working out what it is that I do I need in this moment and then actually asking for it because the people who are trying to support us, they're mm-hmm. flailing as much as we are. Mm-hmm. They need some guidance. So if we go into these conversations with, I, I need to talk about this, but I don't need you to fix me. I don't need for you to make me feel better. I don't need any unsolicited advice. Right. What I really need is for you to listen and give me a hug afterwards. And setting up those conversations it's something that's hard to do because we're not taught mm-hmm. how to do that. But on this journey, it is about creating that structure of, okay, what do I need? And now I need to ask for it. Same with yeah. pregnancy announcements. It's something that is really triggering on this journey as well. And it is about saying to people that are going to announce their pregnancy, this is how I would like to find out because it does ruin a lot of relationships. Mm-hmm. I have seen a lot of families yeah, break definitely. up over at sister getting pregnant and then the whole family hiding it from yeah. the person who is struggling and mm-hmm. it creates so much disconnect within a family because as someone who struggles or is struggling with infertility we don't want to be pitied we don't want to feel yeah. weak we don't want to feel like there's something wrong with us so preparing your friends and family and guiding them through it as well in terms of this is how I would like to find out when you get pregnant. Please send me a text message. Please allow me the space not to respond. You know, right. all of those different things. This journey is really tough, but we don't have to suffer as a result. We can educate ourselves and put processes in place and support ourselves and our family through this as well in order to get what we need when we need it. I'm not saying that it's easy. These things aren't easy to do because it's hard to have hard conversations, but it is something that is essential. Yeah. And it also depends on family dynamic too. It can be stressful for families and it can also be tremendously stressful for a couple. Like you said, you've seen a lot of separation. It happens to couples too. How did you and your husband stay connected during this process? Because I think that can be one of the most challenging things, especially when you're on a journey that's many years, many cycles. It takes a tremendous toll on the couple. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the first holes that we saw were in our sex life when Mm -hmm. it became this frustration, the resistance, the that every month was a sense of failure. And that was the first stress point that we had. But we were quite lucky. We connected at the same level. I, I see it a lot of the times where, you know, men don't show their emotions. So one partner always feels like this and I'll use a woman as an example because mm-hmm. in my situation, you know, they feel like there's something wrong with me because everyone else seems to be doing okay. My partner's doing okay. I'm in this pain all by myself. Therefore, there must be something wrong with me. And a big part of it is realizing that we're different. Everyone's different in the way that they react, the way that they process things, especially men and women in the way that we speak. And, and approach life and the way our brains are wired and the way our emotions are wired. So realizing that you're both in pain, you're both experiencing the same things, but you're reacting and processing it differently is yeah. really important. I think the thing that kept my husband and I connected was we were both in pain and we could both see it and we were both able to talk about it. And we traveled a lot as well that was kind of our consolation prize that so we were constantly planning trips overseas and and doing all those things and I think that's kind of what kept us connected obviously we were doing that in and around IVF cycles and all of the different things but that was the thing that kept us connected did we do it perfectly no mm-hmm. do I think that there's a perfect way to connect with your partner no it, it, sometimes you need to to roll with the punches work out what works, what doesn't, 
Did I take a lot of stuff out on my husband? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. And that's what we do because I didn't have that awareness of what I was doing and and of my emotions and, and I didn't have a way to be able to process that. It's really hard on our relationship and I always talk about the way that we speak to each other the way that we communicate with each other and Mm -hmm. understanding and showing compassion not only for our partner and what they're going through and understanding that they're going through something really difficult as well but also if recognizing that we are as well yeah I completely agree and I think now that's sort of the wisdom of you working as a coach because like you said before you are coming from a place of I've been there and and that's how somebody can know how to support their relationship is working with a coach or working with a therapist who has experience in fertility so that they can kind of let them know what kind of things to look for, what kind of things they can do to continue to support their relationship. Because our goal is to, you know, hopefully get to a pregnancy and whether that happens or whether that doesn't happen, you're going to be with your partner at the end of that. And so you have to make sure that we're going to be able to maintain that relationship that you started with. One of the things that I think is really challenging is all the waiting and all the roadblocks that come up. Most of the process is out of our control. And then here's a cycle where it has to be canceled or this cycle has to be stopped because of this. As you experienced, your lining wasn't appropriate for transfer. So then there you were with a roadblock. How did you handle all of that waiting and things that were sort of bumps in the road or roadblocks? Look, it was hard. And I wish I could say that I did it perfectly. And I used mm-hmm. meditation and I, I believed in my heart that it was going to happen. But the truth is that I really suffered a lot as a result. And given my personality, I am an impatient person. I think that we all are, especially in this day and age when mm-hmm. it, we're used to getting things so quickly and having to wait for anything it is really hard. The way that I dealt with the uncertainty and the waiting was what's next. And as I said, I am not the post child for this is what you should do, but I was mm-hmm. like, what's next? Right. What do I have to do next? How can I control this situation? And I, unfortunately, I was trying to control the wrong Mm-hmm. And so I threw myself into work. I was very career driven. I was a CFO at a multi-million dollar company. So I threw myself into projects because I could mm-hmm. control everything yep. that happened at work. Everything at work had a process. It was hard work and gave the result. And I knew what I was doing there. And yet I would come home and there'd be no control. So I did throw myself into that, whether it was healthy or not, probably not. I also went to some unhealthy numbing habits as well, wine and food. And obviously those things weren't conducive to fertility either, but that's Mm -hmm. the best that I knew how to cope. And as I said, I'm not the poster child for, for what to do, but what I wish I had done, and this is what we did in our last cycle when we conceived Luca through our surrogate mm-hmm. was that I set a goal outside fertility because by then we were running on empty. We were a little bit broken by then. That was almost five years in. Yeah. And I had a girlfriend at the time say, hey, why don't we run a half marathon? And at the time I was like, no, I am <laughs> not a runner, but it planted the seat and I needed something to distract myself from the stress because work was just providing more stress and alcohol and food were providing guilt and weren't making me feel better. So I took her up on her offer and we started training for three months for a half marathon. And it's one of the best things that we did. And when we were running that half marathon, and I did finish it, by the way, um, we found out that we were pregnant with Luca and I feel that's probably the one thing that got me through. So it is really important to set some goals outside of fertility. And that's a lot of the stuff that I do on my coaching program mm-hmm. as well is talking about not losing yourself in the journey, like still doing the things that gave you joy beforehand. And yeah. that is how 
you do get through the waiting is creating some healthy habits and some consistency because we get in this journey and we're like, right, I'm about to start an IVF cycle or I'm about to start the beginning of the month. I'm going to eat well. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to look after my mindset. And so we set these really high goals and we do it for a couple of weeks. And then we get a negative test result and we're like, well, that didn't work. And so then we do nothing. And then we eat what we want. We don't take the supplements. And our body is obviously confused with this, but we are powerless because we're in this vortex. We can't stop it. It's like this stop-start cycle. So it is the way that we help ourselves in the uncertainty is to create some small habits, whether that's a morning routine, whether that's a goal outside our fertility journey. It doesn't have to do with, fitness or anything like that but if it's connected then that really helps I always say the people the goal for all of these things we need to convert them from to have a baby back to to feel good I'm eating really good food to feel good because I want to do something good for my body we take the supplement to make sure that our body's strong and getting all of the nutrients that we want I am going to do some exercise. It does not have to be strenuous or pumping iron or anything like that. It's not to look good or to have a baby. It is to feel good. And everything that we do, we need to realign our goals because then what happens is you get the results. You get that result. So if you eat well, you take the supplements, you do the exercise, you look after your mindset, you feel good. That's the goal. You're not every single month being disappointed. Mm -hmm. And the outcome is that it actually increases your chances inadvertently. What do you think was essential for you in reconnecting with yourself after all that you went through? For me, I think what allowed me to reconnect with myself was writing my book. That was the part where I actually saw all of the stuff that I had gone through and didn't see it as a sense of failure. I was able to see it with respect based on all the things that I was asking of my body but I wasn't giving back to it. So for me, mm-hmm. that that was a big thing and, and something that I do with a lot of my clients is looking back and going, okay, let's just take a moment and a pause and look at all of the things that you have gone through, all of the things that you've endured, all of the things that you have lived through, all of the things that you are asking of your body right mm-hmm. now, and let's see it with a different viewpoint. And for me, that's what I had to do. And am I completely healed? No. Is it a continual process? Absolutely. And I think even reconnecting with our bodies as women Mm -hmm. as well is a really hard thing to do because we get so consumed in what people saying, what we should be doing, what Mm -hmm. we should look like, how we should feel. We get consumed by all of the chuns that we actually forget what it is that we want to do. And outside of fertility, it's such an important thing for us to to be able to stop and go, okay, well, what do I want to do? We become people pleasers and all of those mm-hmm. different things. And it's seen as selfish to look after ourselves. And then the longer we're on this journey, we do begin to distrust our body as well mm-hmm. because we see it as betraying us. We see all of the things that it can't do mm-hmm. instead of all of the things yeah. that it is doing. And that has taken me a long time to be able to see that and to be able to heal and be able to reconnect it is as I said it's continual work it's a continual process that has even nothing to do with infertility you know a lot of the stuff on our fertility journey they're things that were already there but the stress that we are under in this period of time bring all of those things to the surface your first child was delivered with the help of a gestational carrier who happened to be your sister-in-law. What part of that experience was the most challenging for you? I think it was the lack of control and also the grief. I had pictured for so many years that 
I was not just going to have a baby, but I was going to carry a baby. Mm -hmm. So trying to reconcile this is happening the way it is was really hard. I had no control over what she was eating and mm-hmm. and what she was doing and all of those yeah. different things. And also I was missing out on so much. So mm-hmm. when Luca was born, we were essentially strangers to him. Mm-hmm. That was really hard. There were many aspects that were really hard about surrogacy and we don't talk about it yeah. because it, it's hard because we want to be grateful that this is happening. But we are also grieving that we couldn't do it and that we are missing out on this amazing experience. And now that I've experienced both types, I've pretty much experienced everything that you can possibly imagine on your fertility journey. I have experienced a birth through a gestational carrier. I've Mm -hmm. experienced birth for myself. And do I love them or connect with them differently? No, at the end of the day, my love for them is equal. It is fierce. They have an incredible story that they both know about. Hmm. And we are completely open with them about how they're they're conceived. They know I've written a book about them. They know they have a little chapter written about them and they're very proud about that. So yeah, it's a different process. It's the same outcome and it's not something that we would choose. What's one piece of advice you would have given yourself if you could go back and tell yourself now, knowing what you know? The the one big thing was to look after myself. And I know that's the one thing that you can do because it encompasses so many different aspects. Mm-hmm. But I would tell myself that I am the most important part of the equation. And if I am not firing on all cylinders and looking after myself and looking after my mindset, which has a mm-hmm. huge impact on so many different things in terms mm-hmm. of our stress level, in terms of our life, I wish that I had taken the time and not seen it as self-indulgent and seen it yeah. as a necessary part of the process. So definitely I would have told myself to make sure that I continually look after myself that I'm not afraid to take a pause in Mm -hmm. the process to heal, to regroup and to get the help that I needed because a lot of the time we think that we can just strong arm our way through it. A lot of the time we think that it'll be over soon and then I'll be okay and then we'll all be over. So I wish that I had looked after myself and got the support and the help that I really needed through it. Yeah, I can't agree more with that. Women in general tend to take care of others rather than themselves. But again, on the fertility journey, it's just go, 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 like you said. And I can't take a break because I'm worried about the clock going while I'm going through this. And so I think taking the breaks that are needed, really being open and honest about your feelings and taking care of yourself, I think those are great, great things. You have a program called Pregnancy Haven, and that's to support those who are pregnant after infertility and loss. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I was finding that from my coaching programs, a lot of the women were getting pregnant, and then it was the beginning of another race. And I obviously, I experienced it myself after almost six years of fertility struggles, a baby virus surrogate, two miscarriages. When I finally got pregnant with Sophie, I very quickly realized that it was not the end. It was the beginning of another race. And I thought that there was something wrong with me mm-hmm. because I couldn't be grateful that I was pregnant because mm-hmm. I couldn't enjoy this experience. I had dreamed of this for mm-hmm. so long. I had watched someone else carry my baby for me and I had wished that was me the whole time. And yet when I actually got pregnant myself, there was this underlying fear that followed me no matter where I went. We didn't have a baby shower. We didn't announce our pregnancy. We Mm -hmm. didn't buy a lot of stuff until after she had arrived because there was this underlying fear Mm -hmm. of what if this isn't it. And so 
I wanted to create your pregnancy haven for women who were going through exactly the same thing because mm -hmm. it is a hard transition to go from infertility and through the IVF cycles and or trying naturally. It's one thing to be in that, but it's a really hard transition to get out of that mindset. I wanted to provide support, resources, knowledge, a safe space for, for women who are pregnant after infertility or loss to come and get the support that they needed from people who knew what it felt like. Because a lot of people don't understand, well, this is what you've taught for for so long. Why aren't you happy? Like, why can't you be excited? Why aren't you hopeful that you're, you're here? And so mm -hmm. we begin to think, as a lot of things, that there's something wrong with us and there's nothing mm -hmm. because this is trauma, this is grief, this is loss. And, and it is really tough. So our community is, is something that I'm really proud of. Specialists come in once a month with our group calls. We have a whole heap of resources on how you can reduce your anxiety. We have meditation, a whole lot of stuff just for them to be able to feel like they're not alone and they don't have to carry this burden by themselves. I think that's so needed because we don't talk about that. And as you said, their feelings of anxiety or fear. And I think that's really important to be able to connect with others. It's amazing that you've created that. So, so needed. Mm, thank you. So in closing, I know that unfortunately infertility can take over someone's life. And I often encourage people to try to continue to find joy while they're in fertility journey. And although that's extremely difficult, I think it's so important for our mental health, as we spoke about. How do you cultivate joy in your life now? Uh, good question. Through the little moments, through those little moments, it's so easy for us to get caught up in the things that aren't going great in our lives. And there are always little moments to be grateful for. And I'm not saying just be grateful because that is really mm -hmm. annoying. I yes. am about creating the space for the hard things that are happening right now, but also taking a moment to appreciate the little things. So I have a gratitude practice that I love, which is about thinking of five moments, not things, but moments that happened in the last 24 hours that you felt grateful for. It could be a car park. It could be the first sip of coffee that you have of a morning. It could be going for a run, all of those different things, moments where you felt really good and then actually sitting inside of them for a moment. Mm -hmm. And those are the things. It's also about working out what are the small things that give you joy? Because a lot of the time on this journey, we lose touch with all of them yeah. or they change the things that used to give us joy no longer give us joy anymore or when we're, we're no longer allowed to to do that anymore so it is about sitting down and going okay what are the things that actually make me happy now and it mm. could be small it could be going away for a weekend for me it's going to the beach and sitting down there for a half an hour it could be going for a walk it would could be getting out into nature it could be some type of food anything and creating the consciousness and the awareness of okay here are some things that actually do give me joy mm -hmm. and then I'm actually going to do it and the more we do that the more we can actually cultivate it yeah, I love that and I think sometimes we need to be able to give ourselves permission to do those things too because like you said it's just 30 minutes going to the beach but sometimes we start thinking about all the how do we get there? And that's going to take away from what I'm doing. But I think finding joy in the small things can just allow you to find joy throughout your whole day. And so I think that's really important. Tell us how listeners can connect with you. So I love hanging out on Instagram. That's where I am. So I have two Instagram handles. One is Miss Jennifer Robertson. So M-S-J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-R-O-B-E-R-T-S-O-N. And also and your pregnancy haven as well. So over on Instagram, I also have my website, jenniferrobertson.co and yourpregnancyhaven.co, depending on where you are in your cycle, in your journey to, to parenthood. Please connect with Jennifer on Instagram and her website also, and check out her program, Pregnancy Haven. I think that 
She has amazing resources. So if you're not following her already, please do so. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for spending time out of your busy day with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your story. I know that there are so many women who will find support in your words. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for doing this work as well. It is really important for women through the journey. Thank you. The Fertility Journeys Podcast. Thank you for listening today. Episodes of Fertility Journeys drop every week. Follow wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at fertilityjourneys.org. Next time on the Fertility Journeys podcast. My next guest is Kezia Okafor. Kezia is a fertility counselor and coach and author of the book, Flipping the Script on Infertility, Taking Back Control of Life and Purpose. And one of the things that really drew me to Kezia's work is her deep belief in the connection between mind and body. Welcome, Kezia. If trauma can affect our health, part of health is fertility. So it has to have an impact. And there's all kinds of trauma. And what we're really talking about is how I respond in situations, in crises, And the way I responded as a child in a crisis is the same way I'm going to respond as an adult if I haven't had therapy to help me manage it. And that's what we're really talking about when it comes to trauma and our fertility, because that's what this work is about, really, especially in the mind-body connection. How do we lower the stress response? Stress hormones are no good for our health in general, but also no good for our fertility either. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Please consult with your own physician as information shared on this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice.